How would you feel about the church if you were greeted this morning, not with a handshake and a welcome here, but with a, a rude comment about what you were wearing or an eye roll at what time you showed up at? Can you imagine what it would be like if the, the worship team decided to sing in ranges too high or too low for us, for some of us? going off on guitar solos and jamming, maybe more preoccupied with how good they are than with worshiping God together as a community. Maybe stopping us mid-song because we aren't worshiping good enough. Can you picture dropping your children off at Sunday school and seeing the volunteers snapping and irritable instead of the kindness and patience you'd hope for they look miserable, wanting to be anywhere but in kids' ministry. You see, it's not just about what we do in church that matters, but it's whether it's done in love. Now, we're returning to our sermon series out of 1 Corinthians this week, 21st Century Church, after reflecting these last few weeks on Jesus. And in today's text, we'll see the importance of love in how we exercise our various gifts in the church. Now, if you remember, the Apostle Paul is addressing the church in Corinth about a whole bunch of issues uh, in a letter that is actually really relevant for us today. And we come to 1 Corinthians 13, probably, probably one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. I mean, there's a good chance that even if you don't consider yourself a Christian or you haven't read much Bible at all, uh, that you, this will, it will sound kind of familiar. And in it, Paul addresses the motivation or the foundation for our gifts in the church. If you turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians 13, I'll begin reading at verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to, face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 
So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now, as I mentioned, there's a pretty good chance you've heard this passage before. And if your experience is anything like mine, uh, it might have been a little bit out of context. Um, if you walk into a Christian bookstore, for example, this is the kind of text you might see on a painting or uh, decorative bath soaps. It's, it's texts like these, at least for me, that can be the hardest to get a grip on the meaning because they're so familiar. And as I mentioned, we've been going through the first letter to the Corinthians where Paul was addressing some very specific issues in the church. And we're bringing that into our modern church and we're, we're, we're discovering how that applies to us. And if you'll cast your minds back with me uh, to the last sermon through the, the haze of too much chocolate and turkey and stuffing and presents and the stress of shopping. We left off with Paul speaking of the church as a body of different members. Some of us are the hands of the body. Some of us are the, the feet of the body and so on. Some of us have a gifting to work with children. Some flourish as small group leaders. Some are gifted to work behind the scenes and make everything run smoothly. Well, well, this chapter is an extension of what Paul is pressing on the Corinthians. Paul isn't pausing on what being a part of the body of Christ means and then going off on a Shakespearean tangent. This passage is, is still about spiritual gifts. It's still about how we all in the body of Christ need to relate to and treat each other. In fact, what Paul says about, the, about love here works out from what he has said before, and it actually acts as a, as a foundation for what's coming after. In chapter 12, after speaking about the spiritual gifts, Paul says, I'll show you a more excellent way. Well, this is the more excellent way, the way of love. And in chapter 14, he says to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Love is both an answer to the preceding part on the different members of the body, and it's the foundation for the instruction that he'll be giving. It is the most important ingredient in the exercising of our faith and our gifts within the church. So this morning I have, I have three main points from this chapter. First, I want to talk about the importance of love. Second, I want to talk about what love looks like. And finally, I want to talk about the foreverness of love. So if you, starting with the importance of love, if you look at these first three verses with me, Paul is emphasizing how absolutely important love is in the church. In the Corinthian church, there were those using their spiritual gifts, but they weren't using them with the right motivation. I mean, you can see that from, from Paul's extreme language here. If I speak in the tongues of men, you know, maybe I'm preaching the gospel in a language I don't even know. Maybe I'm, I'm preaching multiple languages. Maybe I'm speaking not a human language, but an angelic language. And if love is not the motivation, it's just syllables, just, just noise. And verse 3 is also something I found a little bit haunting. I am. You can be the kind of person who is beyond generous. You can, you can tithe pretty much all your income. You can, you can be the kind of person who would die for another. You can, you can lay your life down and be martyred for your faith. But if love isn't the reason for doing this, then it's ultimately worthless. See, God isn't happy with a kind of, of Christian stoicism 
where we do things because it's our duty. The outward might look pretty similar, but what's the motivation behind it? And as a sort of illustration, if you can imagine making meals for someone in the church, maybe someone uh, just had a, had a child, had a baby. Well, there, I mean, you can, you can imagine a couple different motivations here. One is a desire to, to bless this person. It's a hectic time. That's, it's a love for that person. But another one might be the credit you get from the casserole. You might not actually care very much for that person, but you'll bring up what you did the first chance you got. Basically, you can be the absolute pinnacle of spirituality, at least theoretically. You can practically be glowing with holiness. You might even have a little halo above your head. But if you aren't loving, then your gifts are ultimately worthless. That's how important love is as a foundation. Now, if you'll permit me to gush a little bit about Central, my experience here has been a loving one. My wife and I have been here for a couple of years now. And we've both felt really loved by this church. I could, I could go on about our small group, um, not just the leader, but, but the members of it. And I won't, I won't embarrass them by name. But I, I see evidences of love in every one of their giftings. And it really does make the difference between being somewhere I, I have to be every week and being somewhere I want to be every week. And I had the privilege of, of helping out with Alpha a little bit this, this fall at Central. I'll just mention this and then I'll, I'll stop gushing about Central. Alpha is a, it's a kind of introduction to Christianity course. I don't know if you've, you've heard of it. Um, it's shared over a meal. And you have a whole range of guests from those who are looking into Christianity for the first time to those who are looking for a refresher on their faith. And for me, it was a great reminder of what love, what love looks like as you live out your faith. Because I saw the leaders there and the organizers love for those who came. You have, you have this group of people who have they've tasted and they've seen that the Lord is good. And they want others to, to see that too. And not only that, they gave a picture of how they have been loved by God in the way that they serve others. Now, over a few months, I saw people change remarkably as they experienced the love of Jesus in community. And, and what made the experience so memorable, so, so powerful, wasn't necessarily the individual parts. It wasn't the, necessarily the teaching or the prayer or the, the meal or the, the service the time given to preparation, the time given to clean up. I mean, all, all really important. But without love, that would have been a waste of a Wednesday night. And as we're, you know, involved in each other's lives, and we find those things in the church that we are gifted in, of absolute importance is remembering the foundation of love. So recapping a little bit here. Love is important in how we exercise our gifts in how we treat one another in the church. So important that without it, our gifts are pretty well pointless. And for my second point, I want to get a little bit more practical and look at what does love look like in the church? So what does love look like in practice? I'll read it out again from verses 4 to 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there are, there are hints in the letter to the first Corinthians about the problems and how the Corinthians were using and exercising their gifts. So Paul, he's giving them a kind of practical list. This is what love should look like in the church. I, I had someone recommend a book on first Corinthians to me by Phil Riken. In his book on the chapter, he recommends putting your name in front of each statement here. So I would read it as, for example... Steel is patient and kind. Steel does not envy or boast. And so on. If you try it for yourself, I found it pretty convicting. You know, Central may not be Corinth, but I think you'd probably agree with me that none of us has this love thing down perfectly. And there's certainly a lot more room to grow in love for one another. And now I'll I'll just dig a, a little bit down into a few of these for the sake of time. I know love bears all things. Uh, but I'd hazard a bet you don't want to sit here for the next hour as I expound each one in detail. So, how do we treat each other with patience and kindness with our giftings in the church? After all, Paul says love is patient and kind. Picture with me a small group leader in the church, really into theology. They're reading at least a book a week podcasts on Christianity, listening to sermons at work. They're able to somehow apply John Calvin or Menno Simons to about about any conversation they're in. Patience and kindness looks like not expecting the members of your small group to have a well-thought-out three-point argument for any given theological issue. It's recognizing that people are at various stages of life, and love looks like coming alongside them as they grow in their faith. And that may be an application aimed just at me. But patience and kindness is how God treats us, isn't it? We sin even though we know better. We generally know the right and the wrong thing. But our actions and our motives, people sin. We say we'll do one thing and we do another. We make the same mistakes over and over again. And if you're discipling somebody... That means treating them with the same kind of patience and kindness that God has shown you. It means not giving up on somebody because they haven't achieved perfection. And what about envying or boasting? Two opposites, yeah, but they they both come from the same misperception. Can you picture with me the brother or sister at the library desk out there? Or doing many of the important but kind of unnoticed things in the background, behind the scenes. Love doesn't look like wanting to preach or teach in front of people so badly that you are miserable and you're regular helping out of people. And I mean, it's not like this couldn't go the other way either. You could just as easily have a pastor or a preacher so, so burned out in the ministry that they envy just being able to pray for someone and not be so much in the spotlight. Love doesn't look like holding someone else's giftings up as the true standard of Christianity and being miserable that you're doing something else. It doesn't look like holding your own gifting up as that standard either. The kind, this kind of thing is part of what was going on in the Corinthian church. There was an elevation of certain spiritual gifts above others. And it was, it was damaging the health of the church. 
So if we're applying what Paul says to ourselves, we won't be boasting in what we do as if it's so much greater than what everyone else does. And we won't be envying others when they do something different. Now, as a quick aside, I had mentioned earlier that this text can sometimes get taken a little bit out of context. Paul is primarily talking about how we relate to one another in the church, about how we, we use our gifts for one another. And I don't mean to say that you can't you know, legitimately use this text in premarital counseling and that you're somehow doing something wrong if you stencil it on your wall. You can definitely make a secondary application here. And that the chapter does give a really practical look at what Christianity, what, what love works out in the church. My wife, for example, she wrote part of this in a Christmas card to me this year. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. And I think that's legit. I took it as a, as a comment on our love in, in marriage, as a, as a kind of romantic Bible verse. Hopefully not uh, a hint at what I need to work on. <laughs> what, about, what about rejoicing at wrongdoing? This one can pop up the more we are involved in each other's lives. I, I mean, as we function as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, there's a certain element of correction involved. I mean, I've had older Christians in my life come up to me and won't get into details, but suggest, you know, steal, maybe you shouldn't have said it like that. Or steal that thing you did, maybe don't do that. You know, that's actually really helpful. I became a Christian when I was 18 and had a whole lot of growing up to do, a whole lot of figuring out to do. How do I live in a way consistent with the gospel? You know, Jesus, he had saved me. He died for my sins. But now what does that look like in my life? So maybe you've given advice to someone or warned them about sin in their, in their life in a truly loving way. What happens when they don't follow your advice? Or their life begins to fall apart and you saw it coming? I know none of us like to admit it, but there's that that element of, I told you so. That, that sort of sick feeling in the heart, maybe just for a moment, says, well, if only they'd listened to me. If only they'd listened to me, that wouldn't have happened. Rather than sadness in love for someone, it ends up being something like rejoicing in their sin. Love doesn't get a kick out of somebody sinning. It weeps for them every step of the way and rejoices when they come to the truth. Now, I'd, I'd like to, to read a part of the diary of David Brainerd to you, just a short part, and hopefully you catch a little bit of what I caught from it. You know, Paul's saying, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I think we can see a picture of love working itself out in someone's life in this, in this short little part I'll read for you. And before I read it, if you're not familiar with David Brainerd, uh, he was a missionary in America in the 1700s. Who, who labored to spread the gospel. He actually died um, at the age of 20, 29, just a year older than I am. And he spent the last bit of his life in the house of Jonathan Edwards, who compiled his diary and had it published after he died. And I found it moving not because he is an inhuman example of love, but because I know he often struggled to be loving. Yet he was, he was still able to write the following. Saturday, March 3rd, 
In the morning, spent, I believe, an hour in prayer with great intenseness and freedom and with the most soft and tender affection towards mankind. I longed for those who, I have reason to think, owe me ill will, might be eternally happy. It seemed refreshing to think of meeting them in heaven, how much soever they had injured me on earth, had no disposition to insist upon any confession from them in order to reconciliation and the exercise of love and kindness to them. Oh, it is an emblem of heaven itself to love all the world with a love of kindness, forgiveness, and benevolence to feel our soul sedate, mild, and meek, to be void of all evil surmisings and suspicions, and scarce able to think evil of any man upon any occasion, to find our hearts simple, open, and free to those who look upon us with a different eye. My own diary, if I actually kept one, wouldn't necessarily read a whole lot like that. But I want that kind of foundation to be true of how I treat others. I mean, I think it's just this kind of disposition toward one another that Paul is talking about in this text. This is what love looks like in the church. So we've talked a little about the importance of love. We've looked a bit at what it looks like. And lastly, I want to talk about the foreverness of love. And if you're wondering, foreverness is a word. Um, I was going to go with eternality, a little too philosophical eschatological, a little too uh, theological. So I settled on foreverness. And if you'll look with me again at what Paul says in verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So what's going on in this passage? Well, I think the point Paul is essentially making is, is this to the Corinthians. These gifts of the spirit that you value, maybe value more than the motivation behind them, they're temporary. Love isn't temporary, though. The gifts we use in church, they are important for sure, but do you realize that your spiritual gifts have a built-in expiry date? We live in a time where Jesus has come once, but he hasn't yet come again. I mean, we preach the gospel, we support and build each other up in this, in this kind of in-between time, but love never ends. Love is important now, but love is also important forever. And as, as we move along through the passage, there are some very, you know, interpretations of what's going on in verse 9 and 10. And I'll read those verses out again for you. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. Now I think what Paul is getting at here is that the perfect which is to come is Jesus. It's the second coming of Jesus, when he makes all things new. And I, th I think that lines up with uh, the next few verses here. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You know, these spiritual gifts we have, they're here for a time, and then the perfect will come. When Jesus returns, all things will be made right. There will be no more suffering, no more tears. We'd, we won't need people to preach the words of God in the new heavens and new earth, because we'll have God right there to talk to. To prophesy is to speak God's words to the people. It's a temporary gift. Tongues? As an example, think of how God gifted tongues at Pentecost to proclaim the gospel to a world that spoke confused languages. I mean, there's no need when the world has been made new and all believe. 
You know, God has gifted every member of the body of Christ. Back in chapter 12, Paul says that each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's as if in our giftings, we have a taste of God. Just, just a taste. But when Christ returns, then we will have the full meal in him. The gifts, they're a temporary thing. Love, though, is a forever kind of thing. It's eternal. Faith is, for example, absolutely important. But when faith becomes sight, it passes away. When you hope for something, when you long for something, you stop hoping and longing when it, when it comes. But love is foundational now, and it's foundational in the future. And you see, God is love. I mean, we've been reminded about that these last few weeks, about just how much God is love. Rather than leaving us in our sin and our brokenness, he entered into the world, he's born, and he died for us. Jesus laid down his life on the cross, and as Paul records in Galatians 2.20, Jesus, you know, he loved me and gave himself for me. How bizarre is it then to forget love? when love is so important to who God is? How bizarre is it to take something temporary and make it more important than the eternal? I mean, the very gifts themselves point towards perfect love. They, they point towards the God they are a taste of. I mean, can you imagine being gifted in prayer and praying for someone in need and being caught up in how holy you sound and the eloquence of your words? Caught up in getting the, the mms and the amens rather than communicating with the creator of the universe? It's like getting caught up with a small thing when something much bigger is going on. I mean, prayer is literally pointing to God, and yet we can sometimes make it more about us than about him. So putting all of this, all of these things we do in church, all of our giftings, all of that in perspective, isn't it kind of silly if we operate without love? I mean, we've been loved, though we don't deserve it, by an infinite God. He loved us before the world was made. He'll love us still 10,000 years from now. And, and as, I, as I conclude, I'd like to really impress, to really underline the main thing I've been talking about. And the main thing behind that main thing. We are, we are called to love one another, to exercise our, gif our giftings in love. And if you remember nothing from what I've been saying. Uh, remember that. Preaching, teaching, service, administration, discernment, whatever our gifts are, they're to be done in love. But also remember the God of love who those gifts point towards. I mean, remember that we love first and foremost, not because we mustered up from our own hearts, but because we've been first loved. And I'd, I'd like to conclude with the words of uh, Phil Riken summing this up, uh, because he does a better job than I do about the one who best exemplifies this. I mean, he says, it, he says it like this. If 1 Corinthians 13 is a portrait of love, then it must be a portrait of Jesus Christ, who is love incarnate. Every aspect of love finds its perfection in his affection. To live out the love chapter is to learn how to love the way Jesus loves. Only his love is constantly patient and perfectly kind. Only his love never envies or boasts, but always puts others first. Only his love never gets sinfully irritated or unrighteously angry, 
but always serves and always forgives. Only his love has the strength to bear all things, the faith to believe all things, and the perseverance to endure all things. Now we can add to this everything else we have said about the love of Jesus. His love is all of these things forever. The love of Jesus never, ever fails. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us. For sending your Son to die in our place, we thank you for this church and for all the different people, all the different gifts that you have blessed us with. Jesus, we thank you for your love in dying for sinners and taking the place of those who didn't deserve it and reconciling us to God. I mean, we pray the gospel would continue to go forth and as more people come to know you, that you would continue that reconciliation. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come, help us to build each other up, help us to love one another, but not only one another, help us to love all people. Help us to mirror the love we have received from you. And so God, we just pray that you would go with us now as we head out into this week. And it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.